everybody, and welcome to Equestrian. I'm Caroline, and I'm here with my co-host, Annie. Hello. And I'm so excited for this podcast. I know that I say this about every podcast because... I was just going to say, you're excited <laughs> for every one of them. But I hope that we never produce a podcast where we're like, hi, welcome to our podcast. I don't know about you, but this seems lame. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what we're going to talk about today is the asset mindset and regardless of what sphere of the equestrian community you're in or how long you've been in the equestrian community, um, finding a way to, um, make yourself an asset and what that mindset looks like and how to continually add value to yourself your horse, your barn, your trainer, your show community, and just the equestrian community as a whole. And Caroline and I have developed a list of 10 things that we think are great asset mindset uh, points. And so we're going to go over them in this podcast. Stay tuned. So just for funsies, I googled the definition of asset. And I guess to clarify what I want to speak to a little bit maybe today or what we want to talk about a little bit today isn't like you need to be an asset. You need to be the smartest person at your barn all the time. But rather how to have the mindset of adding value, how to have the mindset of um, being an asset to yourself, your horse, you know, every component of the industry. And the definition of asset is a useful or valuable thing, person, or quality. And I think that that is a super attainable perspective uh, for every single person in the horse industry um, to be mindful of, regardless of uh, their role or their uh, length of time or experience in the industry. Mm-hmm. So. That's kind of that perspective. Because if you approach every, every, uh, every interaction in the horse community as how can you be helpful or how can you be an asset, then, I mean, it just literally makes everyone around you better and it makes the lives better for all of the horses in the, in the industry. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, and it's a little bit self-serving. Like, you know, it's kind of like a subtle self-serving. Like, if I constantly seek to add value to everything around me, how much of that is going to pay dividends and come back and help me? Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, I both selflessly and selfishly am like, my goal is to be like the nicest, most helpful person to all of our yeah, staff too. all the time. Because one, it's nice and I like being nice to people. But number two, that means that my horses are always going to get like amazing top notch. In care. a pinch, if you need something, you need to borrow something, you're having a hard time with something, you have an emergency come up. If you're the mean jerk person and you're like, hey, I need some help, people are going to be like, great. Um, Or they're going to be like, Mm -hmm. "Mm -hmm." but if you're that person that's like, I'm always willing to help you if you need me, it's just better for everyone. Everyone's just, everyone wants to help the person that value credit. (laughs) Exactly. So in that, there's Caroline and I have developed this list of 10 things that would be really great for every equestrian or equestrian to know or be able to contribute or maybe like a goal for how they could one day be able to contribute or master some of these skills. And they're all things that either 
make you a better horse person, make the horses around you better, or make someone another horse person. Yeah, and just to contribute to the industry. And to be fair, so this podcast originally started as like top ten things you need to know, but then we realized that that was really kind of short sighted. Um, and really just kind of like, oh, great. Another top 10 things checklist. Great. Um, and so we retained some of those things, but really we didn't want this to be checklisty. Um, we wanted to choose things that Mm -hmm. every single person in the industry could be better at or, um, be better at serving others through and kind of wanted to take this podcast in that direction um, which I think is a little bit more appealing to a broader audience rather than just like another generic checklist that you could pull out of any, you know, beginner horse book. Mm-hmm. So not only, so if you've mastered this list of things, then how can you help right. those around you master them? If you, if you've already learned them. All, Absolutely. You because if you, um, first of all, like, you know, it's, it's, are you a giver or a taker? You know, there are seasons of our, you know, lives and our, our involvement in this industry where we're going to be soaking up things from other people. Um, but we should also really seek to add value back. And just like Annie talked about a little bit ago, like sometimes adding value doesn't mean like if you are a brand new lesson student, um, and you're like, there's no possible way that I can add value to my trainer. You would be surprised just how much like a little bit of consideration, um, how, how long of a way a little bit of consideration goes and how you can add value, um, in that respect. So we wanted this to be like a asset slash value added, uh, podcast. So thing number one, number one vitals and how to take them. Um, and I think under this category is also like noticing abnormal symptoms or knowing no know, knowing a baseline for what normal behavior or normal symptom normal weirdness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because there's so many there times where somebody has been like, "Hey, this horse is acting a little weird," and which I think also speaks to like if you're an owner or a trainer or a, you know if you have a horse that you have with a trainer or whatever know what normal is, you know, is your horse usually a big fat Mm -hmm. jerk in the stall? So one day if they're acting like a big fat jerk in the stall, you're like, all right, well, that's not weird. That's par for the course. But let's say your horse is great in the stall. Um, Or like if you're, if you take lessons and your horse is great in the stall, and then one day you come in and they're acting like a huge jerk, um, you know, that can be an indicator that something is atypical. Mm Mm-hmm. Or sometimes if you have a horse that's really easy to catch in the stall and all of a sudden they turn their butt to you and you're like, hmm, maybe this horse, like, it's time to go on a trail ride or maybe they're getting a little sour. Maybe they think work is no fun anymore. Or maybe that's just something I need to do to change up my routine. Or maybe you're getting a horse for somebody else and tacking them up and that's valuable information that they might want to know. Or if you're barn staff and you see the rider coming to pick their horse, like, take the horse out of the stall and just so you know, like, it seems like so-and-so is feeling a little this today. Like, that's... A wonderful thing to have a, a wonderful it really is like it, think about it, if you are a competitor or you're a trainer or you're a top level pro and somebody hands you your horse and they're like hey just so you know you know sally sue the horse was a little extra cranky today like just have it on your radar like that's a valuable piece of information that you could you know utilize um as you kind of build your ride around that and then it's also helpful too even if you have no idea about horses mm-hmm. And something happens and you call, let's say you board at a barn and you notice somebody's horse is acting weird. You can call the owner or the barn manager and be like, hey, um, XYZ horse is acting weird. Okay, well, what does weird mean? Um, 
you know, and then you can get into the more science, kind of scientific specifics of, you know, heart rate, respiration, capillary mm-hmm. refill, you know, are just kind of a general, um, more scientific application. And also Google. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, I was going to say all of the equine vitals are very Googleable. But also, if you are a lesson student at a barn, or if you own your own horse, or if you're leasing a horse, um, you can, if you don't own your own horse, you can ask your instructor when the veterinarian is coming out, or you can act your, ask your instructor for help. But um, learning how to take vitals is a really important, important Just thing. Just be able to know your know horse's temperature. <laughs> um, a lot of people. Yeah, temperature. A lot of people actually don't know how to take uh, a heart rate. So, it's funny. Um, my mom's pony the other day was colicking and I had to Google the, um, heart rate and respiration for a mini because I was like, are they like hummingbirds or because they're little, it's a lot faster. So I Googled (laughs) it because I was like, I have no idea. It's slightly elevated, but not notably like not, but I, but but that affected my ability to talk to the vet (laughs) on the phone because I'm like, okay, is this elevated because it's normal for a tiny horse? Or is this elevated because she's in severe distress? And just that distinction is helpful information that you can pass along um, to whoever you need to pass it along to. Absolutely. So if you know all of your equine vitals and you know all of the baselines for some of your horses in the barn, um, that's great information to pass along to others. If you notice someone uh, or if you have the vet out and you have clients or if you have friends or students just say like, Hey, I'm going to have like a little mini vital session with the the vet when they come out for vaccinations this time. Anybody want to jump in and kind of come watch the little mini vitals clinic that I've asked the vet to give. I'm sure your vet would be more than happy to go over um, kind of some of the vital baselines. It makes their job easier too. To be honest, every, yeah. If they, if your horse is colicking and they can ask you what the heart rate is, that's like a lot of, it's just great information for you to be able to give them. And so I th- I'm sure they'd be appreciative to give you the tools to Absolutely. find that information. For um, which kind of goes into our next thing is wrapping and leg care, which I think um, kind of goes with that like medical category, but it's amazing how many people don't understand um, the what and the why of wrapping and leg care. Like If you don't know how to wrap a leg, then, you know, and that's another thing too, another important note is that almost every single principle that we list here is something that you can find a YouTube video to watch on just to have like a bare understanding on it. And, you know, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then you can find like a real life person that you consider an expert, like a vet or a trainer or someone to help help you practice because some of these things like you wouldn't want to just go out and practice without some accountability the first time screw yeah. up and give your horse a bandage but, um but then yeah. too for like upper level people I think it's always uh like a good kind of check yourself it astounds me how many um like really competent riders will wrap or boot their horse for hours while they're standing there in the hot sun or, you know, like, all right, I'm warming up at nine and I don't show until two, but I'm going to put my horse's black neoprene boots on when it's 90 degrees out, you know, understand the mechanics of what heat does to soft tissue and um, just kind of be aware from start to finish from, um, from everything that you do and what and why and, um, but yeah, wrapping and leg care, I would consider to be a big one. And it's also good from an injury, not only from a performance perspective, but from an injury perspective. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Because all of, like overnight, you could literally find yourself needing to wrap a hoof or l- wrap a leg or in some sort of emergency, be able to administer some sort of bandage, and you don't want to have to call the vet and say like wrap a foot for an abscess, <laughs> wrap a leg. But I desperately need to. Yeah, and um, so again, next time your horse, your vet is out for vaccines that's a really great thing to ask them to just give you like a short demo or they can refer you a youtube or they can refer some sort of if they don't have the time to sit there and, and teach you how to wrap a hoof they can point you right in the and in the to right be direction. said for a lot of these things um and kind of the overarching mentality which i'm assuming if you're listening to a podcast you already have kind of a growth mindset is that if you seek to learn you can absolutely find an abundant amount of credible resources um, to teach you a huge um, amount of knowledge about all of these things. So even if you don't have the chance to physically practice them, you can at least know like the bullet points, um, which I think is important. And mm-hmm. I think this is, I think this is a really, that's kind of like what prompted us to start this list is not because we didn't think a lot of people knew how to do these things. There are certainly many people that don't that, but they just need a a prompt or a reminder because it's really easy to go through your like weekly lesson schedule and do the same thing every week. And maybe you're learning a lot in the ring, but maybe some of these items are things that you've missed as, as like of things that are like still important in your growth as an, as an equestrian and that you're just kind of, letting slip off your radar and this is just a nice prompt for people if you don't know how to do these things don't forget you should be working towards them and if you know how to do all of these things don't forget when you see someone that doesn't know or is struggling it's a great idea to just right. help them out absolutely because the overarching mindset behind all of this is how to be an a- how to add to our industry how to how to be an asset um which i think um i'm gonna just mm-hmm. jump right to number five so we can kind of keep it in the medical realm um, how yes. to give a shot. Um, I think we're on a rudimentary level, an IM shot. Um, IV is kind of personal preference. A lot of people give them. A lot of people prefer not to give them. I feel like that's a little bit more of a high-risk one. Um, but I feel like learning how to give an IM shot um, sure. is super helpful, especially because, I don't know, uh, there's so many instances where you know, you have a horse that has an issue and are you going to pay your vet twice a day, every day to come out and give an IM shot? Do you, you know, or is that something that you can, can learn, um, or at least just be aware of, um, watch a couple of YouTube videos and just know, mm-hmm. even if you've never given one before, understand, uh, the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And again, have yes. your vet out and have your vet decide what they think is best. Uh, I definitely don't think that this is for everyone. I think that it's just a good goal to find the right resources in your life and the right experts around you to help you reach that goal, not on your own, but with expert help. At the end of the day, you know, you're just seeking to be, um, I think about it with my horse life, um, I'm adding shingles to a roof. And the more shingles I can add, the more skills that I can learn, or the more things that I can be aware of, the better my roof is. Um, and that's what kind of our, our underlying idea behind all of this is, is not only are you adding to the industry, but you're adding to yourself, you know, you're plugging any holes that you just take for granted, um, that you don't have to know, um, which I think is a big one, uh, that kind of goes to number four, a girlfriend of mine, um, a couple weeks ago needed me to haul her horse somewhere. And I said, well, why don't you drive? And she said, I don't know how to drive a truck and trailer. And I was like, well, today's the day. Um, you know, and you don't have to have a truck and trailer, but, um, but number four, so yeah, so our number, 
Uh, man, I'm skipping all over the place. We're skipping to number four. <laughs> um, it's okay. We can skip um, to number is four. Is be able to hook up, back up, and drive a truck and trailer. And um, even if you don't get to practice the physical driving, just knowing how it all works, watch a couple YouTube videos, be able to eyeball for your trainer when they're backing up everything. And I, yeah, I think that's a great one because like there are tons of people that have no interest in owning a truck or trailer and have no need for one. But how many times have you been at the showgrounds where someone's like, hey, will you help me back up my trailer real quick? I just like need to snag someone. And you don't want to be that person. Me? That's, like, looking around and, like, <laughs> I have you know, like I have I have no idea how to help you. I can point and I can, you know, make hand signals, but I feel like I'm right. Or like just moon. understand so how much just, distance you should have between the trailer that's parked next to you. And, and you know, that kind of thing or. You just hop in the passenger seat and and be like, I've never done this. Can you walk me through how you're about to do this? How to turn. Like the mm-hmm. the um, mm-hmm. poor girl that was with me, um, she was like, I just don't know. And I was like, well, it's like you, you don't have to be great at it, but you should have an awareness of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's a, that's an important one. Um, so, so far we've done vitals and understanding what normal is. Um, and then wrapping and leg maintenance, both from a performance and a medical perspective, we've done how to give a shot, um, especially I am, um, and just overall, um, equine general kind of first aid and wellness, um, I guess items. And then we're going to get into some more like practical kind of like day-to-day barn things. So we have, um, understand the logistics of driving a truck and trailer, because that's also going to help you be a better industry contributor as well. If you are at a horse show and you pull up in your Prius, you know, where are you going to park? That's going to really peeve off somebody with a truck and trailer because they're (laughs) like, how does this person expect me to get out? You know, so there's. Did uh, you say Prius because you know I have. Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) But it is an example of like a tiny little car that's seemingly parked in an insignificant way can really encumber your ability to Mm -hmm. navigate your truck and trailer just because somebody didn't know or didn't think or wasn't aware or didn't realize how much space it took to turn a truck and trailer to get it out. And not to mention. Nobody wants to be that car where they're like, could you please move the red Prius? You're blocking. Like, yes. oh, my gosh. And then everyone's like, Annie drives a red Prius. She parked like <laughs> She doesn't care. <laughs> but it is. Um, it's, so that's, that's a great point. Yeah. So because, uh, I mean, we've all been at a horse show where we've heard some sort of announcement like that. <laughs> Which is hilarious because last I was at a horse show last weekend and literally the judge was in the middle of a class. Well, he was, he was like about to judge the next rider and they come over the a loudspeaker and they're like, could, if you are like driving this car, could you please move your car? And then the judge like looks to his scribe and he's like, oh my gosh, I think that's my car. <laughs> it was so funny. He should have listened um, to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like throwing his keys to someone like, if you need to move it, here are the keys. <laughs> it's like, it's funny. I'm sure it wasn't his fault, but nobody wants to be announced over the loudspeaker. Yes, that's Um, true. So it all just goes to that awareness. And again, it doesn't have to be with all of these. It doesn't have to be what you physically implement. It can be something as simple as you're watching somebody go around the ring and you're a spectator and they're warming up and you're like, hey, um, your splint boot is slipping or like, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Um, 
So and then knowing how to adjust it and help them fix it, like you know, like coming over and be like, "Hey, your spoop, splint boot is fi- is slipping. Uh, if you come over here, I'm happy to help you. But if you don't know how to fix it, we'll it's see. amazing how many times we'll literally just sit and watch something go wrong. I think it's called it's called something. It's like a bystander syndrome or something where you can have like 50 Mm -hmm. people watching something go wrong and nobody says anything or helps because Mm -hmm. um they just assume that everybody else will do it but have the mindset to add value um okay so does that bring us to number three groundwork and manners yes no i'm ready for number three i'm done with the jumping i should have organized these in a more linear (laughs) fashion but no i like it so groundwork and manners. Yes. It's a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that everyone from, and this is something that like, I feel like is taught in the beginning, but then like, I remember working for some people I had a tremendous amount of respect for that didn't implement or instill or encourage any sort of like feasible handleability of their horses and I just remember being like Mm -hmm. this is a liability in Mm -hmm. every sense of the word if your barn is on fire and your horse is more likely to live if they keep their wits about them and can be haltered and led in a respectable fashion they are much better off (laughs) Yeah, this this actually comes back to like really contributing to your horse's uh, yes. quality of life. Oh, I say this all the time. If you were to drop really dead, in, what would yeah, help your really horse? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I worry about that all the time. Um, but that's certainly something that you can approach a trainer or an instructor or there are so many good ground manners uh, YouTubes but again I think it's really important to have an expert in your life kind of pointing you in the Mm -hmm. right direction because the internet although we're saying has so many great like areas to peruse it's also you can also go in a really bad direction really fast so it's really great to have someone that you look up to and an expert that you someone you consider an expert in this field to kind of point you in the right direction absolutely Um, And I think too, like a lot of, you know, we always look for like a major crisis and a major solution. Um, But a lot of times, like the beginning of a lot of behavioral issues starts with as something as simple as on the ground, does your horse try to pass you when they're leading, when, when they're leading you, (laughs) see, (laughs) or when you're leading, there you go. Um, Or do, you know, they rub their head on you incessantly. It's just little things like that, that in a herd dynamic, um, translate to who is the authoritative animal and who is the submissive animal. And then what role in, you know, your, you to your horse dynamic, be it any horse interaction. Um, do you want to be the, uh, boss horse or the submissive horse? I know what I would prefer to be. Not to mention like when the vet comes and, and deals with animals that you, they're, if they are well-behaved, they, their lives are just so much more, just more pleasant. Your farrier will hate care. you. They get, if. Yeah, they, exactly. Um, so does that bring us to number seven? I think it does. Oh, six. Oh, excuse me. Number six. I'm like over here and I'm like, maybe I should reorder these. I'm talking count. about them. <laughs> oh, I love them. So six. know what you're using. Okay, I just said it and showed it. No, no, go. Know what you're using, why, and how. Yes. 
there's so many people that you see using pieces of equipment completely incorrectly and especially in the horse world that can go so catastrophically or it just can be absolutely doing nothing nothing which is a total waste of everyone's energy and resources so I think that's a big Mm -hmm. one is um obviously as you progress through this industry and learn and grow um you will have varying degrees of this application but it could be something as simple as in a lesson if you know that one horse has like a running martingale on and the other ones don't you can be like hey why does this horse have this and your instructor or Mm -hmm. your trainer should be like oh well you know this horse does X, Y, Z, and that's why we use this, or just start to build your awareness um, on a very basic level, or um, even at a very top level, it's amazing how many um, people don't understand, like they kind of know anecdotally why things might work a certain way, but will have like a fundamental misunderstanding of how like a bit works in their horse's mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. or like why they've selected it, or are they just doing it because they saw somebody else do it, which is totally fine, provided you research. Right. I feel like that happens quite a bit in our industry, that things become like fashionable, and then they're used in scenarios in which like aren't necessarily appropriate, but it's like the thing to do these days. All the time, which is, you know, I'm all for using whatever you need to use, as long as you know why you're using it, because also you don't want somebody to come up and be like, Hey, I really like that bit that you're using. What do you do? You know, what do you use it for? And you're like, uh, it yeah, makes like, my horse what made you turn. Do- exactly. <laughs> or like what made you decide to swap bits or what, you know, like, well, this one was pretty and I don't know. Um, yeah, but I think that that's a really important one. And we'll, um, we have another podcast specific to that one that we'll get into down the road, but on a basic level, know what you're using, why, and how, um, and how it works. Um, Mm -hmm. because sometimes, uh, I think a huge amount of the time we take for granted entirely why and how things work. Um, just down to like the word, whoa, like, believe it or not, horses don't hit the ground thinking, whoa, means stop. And I was having this conversation with a student the other day that, like, everything is a conditioned response. And we have to understand how all of that works um, to some mm-hmm. degree. That's very true. I'm going to jump to number... Nine? Seven. No. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven. Fourteen. Seventy-two. <laughs> Number seven, basic principles of warming up and cooling down and basic principles of uh, fitness and conditioning. Oh, this is a I good one. I think this one is like This might begin. be my favorite. Um, but I'll, uh, yeah, this is something that I see done incorrectly many, many, many a time. More often than not, I would say people lack, and people have kind of a vague um, maybe understanding of like warming up and cooling down, or they've seen Black mm-hmm. Beauty and they not they know that you're not supposed to like take a sweating horse and hang them by a bucket of water right when they're like about to die. Um, mm-hmm. But fitness and conditioning I see as like a humongous hole. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think I explain it to people this way is that like, if you, uh, laid on your sofa 22 hours a day, seven days a week. And then on Saturday, I was like, Hey, you should run a marathon with me. That would be so fun. And then I yeah. literally hooked a lead rope to you and carried a whip and I drug you along on a marathon with me. You would hate everything about me. 
Yes. <laughs> and I think if you've ever had to rehab a horse, you have a real appreciation for how um, time consuming and how tedious uh, act like quality and conservative and uh, what it takes to physically build their fitness from zero. Yeah. Mm hmm. And yeah, because especially here in California, you find a lot of horses that are stall, conf- confined in a stall. And so their fitness is going to be totally different than a horse that lives in a paddock 24 hours a day. It's 100% um, your responsibility. Yeah. So when you're bringing back a horse, uh, walking is something that you do a lot of. And so something that I've started implementing in my uh, warm up and cool down is I try and do 10 minutes of walking, walking warm up. on either yeah. side. Motion yeah. is lotion. Mm-hmm. So we just do a lot of walking and it's great for them to do, to get like a little bit of a mental warm up as well. Like they have 10 mm-hmm. minutes to collect themselves and to just kind of, it's kind of like for me, it, I think of it as like when I have a cup of coffee in the morning, it gives me 10 minutes to like sit there drink my cup of coffee and come to terms with the fact that I'm about to start a new day because <laughs> sometimes Absolutely. when I get up I am not always feeling it but by the end of my first cup of coffee I've had time to like give myself a little bit of a pep talk and I feel like it's a really great like I do as much as I can to keep my horse's routine as predictable as possible and their warm-ups are often pretty predictable I try and keep them really similar so that they have a really great understanding um, and it keeps their anxiety level really low. They know exactly what's coming, what's happening. They know what they do. And so, so much of their lives are routine driven. And so they just have minimal stress and they know we're going to warm up for this amount of time. They know we're going to do this, these movements in the warm up. I'm going to make some evaluations and then we go into work. And so that when we get to the part where we're getting to work, they're ready for it. They're it's mentally like, and physically well, prepared like- for the work. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah, I th- it's a gradual increase. And I think that's like an important part of the, on being mentally and physically prepared is a big part of the fitness and conditioning too. Um, and this is a little bit more detail oriented than we need to be right now, but think about like the type of work that you're doing for the type of performance that you're expecting. Like, you know, you should be in a conditioning program and a fitness program that is um, kind of conducive to your specific type of performance. You know, how I condition a barrel horse that's going to run through a 15 or 17 second pattern is going to vary considerably from how Annie conditions a dressage horse that walk trot canters through an eight minute test, but they both Mm -hmm. need high levels of fitness. And you can Google or consult a professional, um, a specific conditioning program to your horse. But I would venture that a vast majority of injuries and degradation um, in especially recreational riding horses. And I say that in the understanding that like, if you're not riding horses every day for a living, um, you're probably some scope of a, uh, more recreational or enjoyment oriented rider. Um, and how many of those horses have very limited, uh, fitness, um, especially with the understanding that like a stalled horse is going to differ very much from a pastured horse, um, in their fitness level. And we still have high performance expectations for them when we go to shows or if we go somewhere on the weekends. Um, but that may not be terribly fair to them. And you know how you feel if you're not prepared for something and you have to go exert at a high level physically, Um, and your horse is the same way. They just don't quite get to tell, you no in the same way. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's much more of a propensity for breakdown. And then also understanding the nature of like soft tissue and muscle and that sort of a thing is that appropriately conditioned muscle supports ligaments and tendons and ligaments and tendons and muscle all together and appropriately conditioned, you know, protects and supports bone. So you eliminate, as you build and condition their body each time you're eliminating more, you're eliminating um, more and more um, bone degeneration. You're limiting your potential for like catastrophic soft tissue damage um, and not that that can all be alleviated by conditioning, but you can really help yourself um, quite a bit in mm-hmm. the positive direction um, by and having a And I think the mindset horse. of, yes, I think the, the mindset of thinking of your horse as an athlete, no matter what, what your discipline or what your goals or your, your work level, you have to remember that you are asking them to be an athlete no matter what you're doing. Absolutely. So you have to really remember to treat them that way. No, wholeheartedly agree. Um, which I think goes so to does number that eight. bring us to number eight? Okay. Yeah. Uh, having an understanding of your horse's basic daily care and management. I think this one is really huge, especially yes. since I've, I've found that there's been a little bit of a difference um, between how the environment that I was in on the East Coast and moving out here to California. I found there's been kind of a big shift in how horses are managed and how clients and boarders manage their horses. And I found... That there, I mean, there are obviously great management styles and care on both coasts, but I've just been more aware of the need for uh, client and border uh, awareness here in basic care and management, nutrition, feeding programs. Like essentially when you go away to a horse show, you're typically um, pretty responsible for your horse's care. I mean, like you may go to a show where mucking and feeding is included, but um, it's not, not often. And that doesn't seem to be, you know, goes to say too that you don't have to be an expert in barn management. You don't have to have a PhD in equine nutrition. Um, But if you own a horse, regardless of how um, hands on you are with their day-to-day care, it's your responsibility to be an expert in your own horse. Um, Mm -hmm. Just knowing what they eat when they eat, you know, if they're a big drinker, if they usually don't drink a whole lot, just knowing, and that could be as simple as asking. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying in any or stretch. How much? Go ahead. Um, I'm not saying in any stretch that you have to be like, if you, um, you know, have kids and you're working a full time job and you can't get to the barn very often. That I'm not saying in any stretch that you should just like go and camp outside outside your horse's stall. Um, but you can pretty easily with a text message, um, at least be aware of like what bit your horse uses and why and what equipment your horse uses and just be an expert in your own horse. Mm-hmm. Like it's a simple, like going away at a horse show, knowing what their, their stall is, looks like in the morning. Like if they didn't poop all night, that's probably a problem. Yeah. Kind of, that kind of thing. But again, um, and that just goes back to that awareness and being an asset. And then, you know, thinking about how that word asset applies, you know, how you're adding value to yourself, to your horse, mm-hmm, to your trainer, mm-hmm. to your local horse community. You know, I'm adding value to myself by, you know, potentially helping myself from a performance perspective, helping my animal to feel better, helping me to have a better quality experience, or maybe saving myself some vet dollars. I'm adding value to my horse by taking the best care of them. 
I'm adding value to my trainer and my barn by not being like the blissfully ignorant person who is like, you know, not interested or not even aware that they should be interested in the needs of my own animal. Um, Or even just to think to ask, like a lot of people go away on a horse show with a a trainer and they don't like if you and you know it's just kind of such a whirlwind it's so much work and so much prep for everybody but if you ever stopped and you were like hey I'm I'm kind of thinking I need to reevaluate my preparedness in this type of situation is there anything that you think that I should be providing or I could do to step up my game and the vet or the your trainer could say like well do you have did you buy some gastro guard or do you have anything um prepared in, in this type of scenario or uh, typically when we pack to go away, we bring this, have you thought of this? Or sometimes like my trainer has a list of things that, uh, needs to come with us every time we pack the trailer for a show. And so it might be as simple as them saying like, well, let me share you, like share my spreadsheet of the things that I look at every yeah. time I'm packing. And here's, here's what you can start to, to look at and prepare with. And keep in mind too that like if you go to a show with a trainer and your trainer has four or five other clients there and they're showing and they're riding for other people and they maybe they're showing their own horses and they're trying to coach you um, with that whole value added thing and are you adding or subtracting like let's say that your coach is working with another client. Do you want to be taking value from that other client by having to like needlessly bother your, your coach or your trainer incessantly over things that you should already know, or you should do your Mm -hmm. due diligence to manage, um, you know, that, that point in time, or are you going to be that person that's like, oh, you know, so-and-so's out there warming up and I can see their horse like senselessly swatting flies. If I just came over with some fly spray and a a bottle of water, like that would just help everybody out. Yeah. then that person would think perhaps to either help you the next time or it's one less thing that your trainer has to stop teaching and go back to the barn to get and return. It's just, it's something that, um, just adding value, like you said. And it goes back to, too, like that knowing like what you're using and why and how, like we talked about like a little bit about nutrition. Like if, you know, if you're clear with your trainer or you are, you know, feeding your horse yourself. Like, do you understand what the different nutritional things that you're doing to them are, how they're affecting them? You know, um, I was chatting with a friend the other day and somebody had recommended that they, um, put their horse who's already a little unruly on, um, red cell for kind of like a menial effect. And I was like, I would really do my research on that um, because what that person suggested to you is not, in my opinion, well suited to this particular endeavor. And you could end up with like a boatload of behavioral issues that stem from a seemingly insignificant nutritional change. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, um, which I think so kind of, bring yes, number, right, nine. number nine. This one's my a, favorite. This one I would love for you to chat about. I think this one's a really good one that's often overlooked. So this is how a horse thinks and learns prey animal versus punishment or how horses interact with each other and how that influences our relationship with them. I took an equine behavior class in college and it was one of the most important things that I think I've learned. And it, it went through, um, there are some really basic principles of how, um, and not even just humans or animals, but just how things learn. I guess it, humans, humans and animals. Are pretty humanals. Much <laughs> um, and there's a lot of 
so there it would be really easy to go on the internet and look up like classical and operant conditioning and you could watch i'm sure like a some sort of crash course or youtube or something on classical and operant conditioning um, but that's essentially how things learn and in and- writing a lot of times what we're doing is either positive or negative reinforcement um occasionally we do punishment it's not quite as um it's not quite as if they mean different things than what people think that they mean like what Mm -hmm. the textbook definition of um like positive reinforcement negative reinforcement and punishment i was surprised to kind of see were different than what like your instinctual understanding of like positive and negative reinforcement and punishment um, yes. And then I think so of- when we're riding, like people lose track of the sight that the majority of what we're doing is negative reinforcement. So you want your horse to, to walk on, you put your leg on, which is the negative, the negative stimulus. When the horse walks off, what you do is you remove, remove the negative stimuli. Yeah. Negative stimuli. And the horse does like, so you don't like you, you do don't stop the negative stimulus until what the behavior that you've gotten is what you've which is I think just that simple fact is a huge component I teach my lesson students like you have to provide a you don't have to but most time we we apply some sort of negative stimuli in whatever to get whatever elicit whatever behavior we want to get Mm -hmm. but it's your responsibility if you want to condition the response for what you want to remove that when you get the mm-hmm. desired response, otherwise you're conditioning for something entirely different and you want to exactly. know why your horse isn't listening to you is because you're not communicating with them in a way that they even understand that they should be listening to. Yeah, it's like someone also said to me, um, it's very much like the dog where you say like, sit, 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 and then the dog finally sits. So you've just taught the dog that you have to say sit four times and then they'll sit. Yes. But if you teach the dog like sit and then you expect them to sit and you modify their behavior so that they sit at that. Like so if, if the behavior didn't happen, you make a, corre- a correction so that the behavior happens. But you don't just keep saying sit, 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 sit because then the dog learns that the command is negated sit four times and then I sit. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like if a rider is, is putting their leg on and it's like spur, 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 and then they go, that's the new aid. Yes. It's not like quiet leg, small aid, and then the correction for when that aid was ignored. Which I think also touches on another really great point is like the escalation in aid and the Mm -hmm. escalation in that negative stimuli and understanding that if you build an escalation in, you are inherently teaching obedience to a minimal aid. But Mm -hmm. most people, like I was telling one of my lesson students the other day, I was like, if I wanted you to do something and I came up and smacked you in the mouth and screamed at you out of the clear blue sky it would take you a very short amount of time to really struggle with dealing with me and we're like that with our horses all the time you know they don't read our minds they don't understand that a woe or a go is coming and if we just shock them with this really aggressive aid out of the clear blue sky we're going to elicit either an unfavorable response and or we're going to condition them to listen to an unfavorable response mm-hmm. rather than, certainly not, mm-hmm. you know, rather than a, a, a quiet and considerate aid that has some accountability built into the back end of it. Absolutely. Uh, which I think is so another, I think that one's, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another big part of, of this uh, that I always find really interesting is just understanding um, like the fundamental differences between a prey animal and a predator. And I think most people's basis for animal training stems from dogs because most people have a dog in some respect. But there are big fundamental differences in how a prey animal that is surrounded by food but values protection and not getting eaten by lions from their leadership paradigm um, to a, you know, a predator that has to seek out its food and their leadership dynamic is um, kind of built around hunting and kind of that structure. There's just, there are differences that it's important to be aware of, um, mm-hmm. which is where I think some people have a tendency to get into trouble with like the overfeeding and the overtreat giving is at the end of the day, you can use them as a positive reward, um, but you can't con your horse into respecting you through food. Absolutely. I think that's a really great, that's a really great point. Um, Does and that bring us to number 10? Um, no, I was just going to say on the tail end of that, also understanding how horses interact um, with each other and what their herd dynamic looks like and how the different um, hierarchies in, within a herd um, behave and how that influences our relationship with them. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, and I think that brings us to number 10. Yes. So be honest and unbiased and not afraid to ask a question when you don't know the answer. It's usually in your horse's best interest. Oh, I think this one's awesome. This is kind of sums it all up because at the end of the day, we want everyone to have a great, including ourselves. We do this in some degree, regardless of whether you just took your first riding lesson yesterday or you're an upper-level professional who's been doing this for 40 years, we do this because we like it. And if we all approach this industry with the mindset of, I want to add value, I want to do the best possible job I can as a rider, as a trainer, as an owner, as a um, to my horse – to the people around me, to my equine community, to my local showgrounds, to the lady who accepts the registrations at the front desk. If we took this mindset of adding value and being an asset, not only would we radically augment ourselves, but how transformative would that be to the industry if everyone had a mindset that was geared towards adding value and providing growth? Yeah. And and you're right. If you it also, um, it's, it's, it's in the horse's best interest at the end of the day, which is why we're all here anyway. So it, it doesn't make sense to let your ego kind of inflate over the well-being of your animal. That's just silly. And I think part of the unbiased point is don't put yourself in a box. You know, Annie and I have been very close horse friends for a long time. We are in radically different disciplines, and by a huge margin, we have more in common than we do um, have uh, in, you know, that are different uh, amongst our, our disciplines. Because at the end of the day, 90% of all of this is the same. It's how we school and manifest and apply it that differs a little bit. Um, but the meat and potatoes of the horse industry is all the same. It's all um, what we should aspire to is being educated, good quality management, good quality animal care, being a good contributor in whatever role you fill in the industry. Some of us just do different things than others um, in how we display it. For sure. So I think the unbiased is important, you know, because I know Annie and I trade stuff back and forth all the time that's 
and you had mentioned this in a previous podcast, it'll be from a, you know, you'll share a dressage magazine with me or a barrel racing magazine with you. And it's just what value can you take from it? And then um, how can you apply that to your own role in the industry? Um, Yeah, I think if everybody were to broaden their minds a bit more, there's so much we could learn from each other and just make everything. um, And have a better industry. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, and that's kind of it. Woohoo. I'm so excited. Me too. (laughs) So. (laughs) I'm so surprised that you're excited. (laughs) Our takeaway from today be an asset in every capacity, add value, and make sure that you fill as many knowledge holes as possible in both yourself and just help other people and be a nice person and don't be a jerk. Love it. <laughs> it's going to be, a, I'm going to make an Instagram post about that. Don't be a jerk. Simple don't as that. Jerk. Just be nice. Do unto others. Period. The end. Um, but actually yeah. the end. So if you'd like to catch up with us um, in a variety of platforms, you can follow us on Instagram at equestrian underscore podcast. And that is E-Q-U-E-S-T-R-I-E-N-N-E underscore podcast uh, or equestrian podcast at outlook.com. So what do you think we have planned? Do you want to talk a little bit about Ooh, what we had planned for yes. next week? Um, so our upcoming podcasts, are, I'm very excited about. Uh, number, the next one that we're doing, which I'm super, I am uh, emotionally neutral about. I, there's no excitement. <laughs> uh, Zero excitement. Coming down the pipes, we have Haters Gonna Hate, where we talk a little bit more about mindset and the villain within which i'm pretty excited about that one and then we have a duration versus education i think you see this so much in the industry where somebody's like i've been doing this for 20 years well you've been doing it wrong for 20 years so it's still Mm -hmm. wrong and uh put your mind where your money is which i am also emotionally neutral about and not well, excited, I'm very excited about those. <laughs> so uh stay tuned all right we will catch you all later